It's amazing how people in relationships seek for success, isn't it? I could have a show of hands and every one of you want to have successful relationships. And so the Apostle Paul, yes, thank you for that hand. The Apostle Paul talks to us about this topic. And as you've gone through chapter 3 in Colossians, it just, to me, it just all makes sense. Because he starts out in the first part of chapter 3 talking about the new man, the new woman in Christ and how he's given us a new life and, a, and the power for a new life. And then he goes into this dress for success, this character that Christ develops in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God's at work in us personally and individually. And then that message that followed that took us to the new place where we as a church are all together and relating with each other, and we're learning how to operate with the Word of God teaching us and growing us, and how we have peace with each other, and people come to the church and go, wow, this is a cool place. People actually like each other. They get along. It's cool. And that leads us to today, where the Apostle Paul has trickled down from the individual to the church as a whole, now to individual relationships. And today we're going to look at three types of relationships. The marriage relationship, the parenting relationship, and the business or employment relationship. Those three. And all of those are impacted by the resurrected Christ. When you trust him, he starts to work in your life. He works in you, your character, your development. You start to realize he's got a personal development plan for you. He's rooting for your success. In fact, he's investing in it. And that trickles right on down to marriage and families and employment and how you relate to people. Because Christ touches every part of a person's life. And what he wants us to realize today, the main idea, is that serving the Lord is serving your relationships. And so you can think today, how can I serve my spouse better? How can I serve my child or children better? How can I serve my parent better? How can I serve my employer? How can I serve my employees? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us today because relationships, uh, someone has said that relationships is the main thing in life. When all is said and done, it's relationships. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would help us to see more clearly how we can be uh, an investor, a contributor to great relating. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so these uh, three types of relationships uh, break down into six different uh, individuals. And so the first one that we're going to take a look here is wives. And the scripture says for wives to submit. And we got to talk about what that means. And so we see in Colossians 3.18, it says this, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And you wonder what that word means because some people question it. Other people go, oh, that makes total sense to me because one lady in our church actually told me when I learned this, it revolutionized my relationship with my spouse. And I just stopped and I said, tell me about it. Just tell me about it. I want to hear what you have to say. And she spoke to me for five or ten minutes, and I was just taking notes learning from her. It was great. To submit in the Scripture means to defer to. 
uh, to yield to or to subject oneself to voluntarily, uh, to place yourself under somebody. And in relationships of responsibility and authority, uh, we all have that experience, whether it be in the workplace, uh, someone that has authority over us and talks to us about what needs to be done, we listen and we get it kind of done. And so submission isn't something that's unusual in our culture, it's just that sometimes it sounds oppressive because of how people who are controlling oppress us. That's not what it's talking about here in Colossians. It's talking about voluntarily choosing to contribute strength to a relationship. Let's talk about what that looks like. In Ephesians 5, 21 and 22, Paul says this, submit to one one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, within the church context, in all our relationships, We yield and defer and we place ourselves under and we learn from each other and this is just something that takes place in a community where knowledge is being shared and we're learning how to relate and we're caring about people. That's how you do it. You submit to one another out of reverence for, for Christ. And so submission isn't the same as significance. Choosing to learn and listen and serve one another is significance. And when a person chooses to defer or listen or to let someone else make that decision, it's a position of strength. Because God is asking, now notice the husbands aren't asking this, this is what God is saying to the wives, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that's everybody, and then wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. In other words, there's a a learning and a mutual relationship there. Most of the time, in relationships, there's not that much submission going on. It's just occasionally, even in a marriage relationship, that you find yourself having to make this big decision or something, and you guys probably discuss it, you interact with the ideas, and uh, then if you agree, you just go ahead and you do it, right? Well, sometimes you don't agree. There's times where my wife and I, we don't agree. And we talk about the issues and we discuss the pros and cons and what would be the outcomes. Someone has to make a decision at some point. The day that she told me that she was going to defer to me, I had this really strong feeling of responsibility and it was kind of overwhelming. It was like, really? You you want me to go ahead and decide that? And I felt so responsible, almost a little bit scared, to be honest with you. But yet the Lord calls us into relating to each other and learning how to relate in a position of strength. And God is calling us all as a church to submit. And then he calls for wives to their husbands directly to defer and respond. And so it goes on to say that this submitting yourselves to your husbands is fitting in the Lord. In other words, it's consistent with. And just to show you that submission is not your significance, think about Jesus Christ, your Savior. He died on the cross for you. Can you think of anything more humbling to do? He gave his life as a perfect offering so that our sins could be forgiven by a just and perfect God. And every day that he walked on this earth for approximately three years, 
He was talking to his disciples and talking to people, and he was illustrating submission. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father, and yet he said to Philip and other disciples, don't you know, Philip, that the works I do are not the works that I have chosen, they're the works the Father has told me to do. Why did Jesus go off by himself to pray so often? The Gospels talk about this. It's because he was going to his Father and going and saying, Father, what's the plan? What do we do next? What, what's the next step? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? He said, Philip, the works I've done are the works the Father has told me to do. And so our very Savior submitted to the Father in the work that he accomplished here on earth. He deferred to the Father, and he teaches us the importance and the value of submission and how fitting it is in the Lord because that's how the Lord operates. It says in 1 Peter uh, that women who trust the Lord, who submit, are like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, her husband, and called him her Lord, a small case L there, uh, leader. Uh, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Ladies, your husbands, when they have to make a decision, they don't necessarily know what the right decision is. And that's why you pray for your husband because he's probably going to feel a little bit like I did that day when I realized, boy, I better get this right. I better go to God and ask for some help and get some wisdom and make the right decision. But Abraham, men, serves as the example of the imperfect husband. Ladies, we won't always make the right decision. Even when we try, we will make some decisions and it won't be the right one. But don't give way to fear. Trust the Lord, because that's what you're doing. Your position of strength, and someone has said this, is that the position of submission before God is the position of greatest strength, because the Lord is backing you up. Don't give way to fear. Pray, trust the Lord, move forward move forward with decisions, even if they aren't perfect. And so growing closer to God in trust helps us to grow closer in our closest relationships, our trust relationships. The closer the relationship, the more risk, the more trust, the more faith, the more we're all depending on the Lord for that relationship to be successful. But there's the other side of the relationship, and now, ladies, I have to talk to the husbands. Husbands, you are called to a different character virtue. The ladies are called to the virtue of deferring, of trusting God for her husband's leadership. Husbands, here's what you're called out for. You're called out to focus on the character quality of love. 
And my goodness, in this world, isn't that a word that has been defined in so many confusing and different ways? Love isn't what you take. Love isn't what you exploit. Love isn't always what you want. Sometimes your desires are not loving desires. You might even think they are. Husbands, you are called to the kind of love that in the New Testament is called agape, the Greek word that Jesus latched onto and redefined. And Jesus went to that cross and he showed you that love is what? Sacrifice. Gentlemen, you're called to love with the love of great sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives, Colossians 3.19 says. And that word love is interesting because it's, a, it's in the present tense, which in Greek is telling you that it's not just a one-time action. It's expected as a pattern of action, a continual attitude of care and expression of sacrifice for the well-being of another, for your wife. Gentlemen, Let's step it up, shall we? Let's show our wives how much we care about them. And let's show it and express it in a sacrificial way. Well, we try, and sometimes it works up, sometimes it doesn't. My wife is, is on a, a, a trip. She's out there enjoying some fellowship with a bunch of ladies at a retreat. And I thought I was going to show some expression of love for her. So I took some sticky notes and I wrote some things on them and stuck them. I stuck one, one in the car so as soon as she got in the car, she would get the first note. And then I decided, oh, she, she likes a little bit of chocolate. Not too much, just a little bit. I know my wife. And so I had some good chocolates and I placed them, one in her backpack, and then I placed one on her seat, but I stuck it right under the cushion just a little bit so she would fill it under her leg. And you know what? She found the one in her backpack, but the one in the car melted. And now i got to figure out how to get melted chocolate out of the fabric of a car seat. If anyone can assist me or tell me how to do that, I would greatly appreciate that before she finds it or hears this message. Oh my goodness. Honey, if, if you're watching this message live, I'll take care of it. Okay. So we try. We try, gentlemen, don't we? Colossians, or Ephesians says, husbands, love your wives, and now it tells us how. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why did he do that? To make his church holy. Husbands, that's why we love our wives. That's how we love our wives. Our goal is to make our wives closer to God, more in love with the Savior. And one way of doing that, a very valuable, probably one of the most valuable ways of doing that, is to take the Bible and talk about it together. When you leave today, some of you may even have a discussion about marriage, about your marriage. And you can talk about the Word of God that you've heard today, 
and go and just have a, a good discussion. Keep the emotions down and just let it be a good discussion. Just let God speak to you, to your marriage. Husbands, how do you want to show love to your wife? Well, you may not be speaking her language. There's a book that I've read three times, and I read it once a decade. And it's the, other than the Bible, it's the only book that I I read on a frequency. And it's called The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. Gentlemen, if you want to know how to figure out your wife's love language, this author has done the research. I'm going to do a men's group and we're going to discuss it, but this book can be taken by a couple and you can read it together and you can talk about your love languages and explore and learn what your spouse's love language is more accurately so that you can speak their language of love. Because what you and I think might be our spouse's thing that makes them feel loved might not be in their minds what they feel loved by. And so you have to explore it. But if you have the idea, I'm going to love my wife more, and I'm going to sacrifice for her that she might be closer to Jesus, you're on track, gentlemen. You got the right goal. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh. That is bitter, sharp, or edgy with them. Now notice that the wives didn't get a challenge like this. The husbands get it. The husbands are told, don't be harsh with your spouse. Uh, There's a million ways you can do it. Usually it's just not even thought about. It's just, you just say what you think, and it comes across kind of incisive or edgy, moody. Gentlemen, guard your emotions and how you say things, because it sometimes comes across in a way that you don't understand is edgy, a tone of harshness. And our wives read those things precisely. And so that's the challenge to the husband, to love and to not be harsh in either what they say, what they do, or the tone of how they say things. And so men, this calls us to address our issues. What causes us to be harsh? Where did that come from? Where did that edginess come from in us? When we get moody, where does it come from? Ask God to show you. As men, it'll help you to show more Christ-like love and less of your human limitations and weaknesses. And now we move to the second kind of relationship, the parenting relationship, the father-child relationship specifically. Isn't it interesting, in these six people that are spoken to, husbands and then the husbands who have children are spoken to as well. Men get spoken to twice in terms of the relationship um, connections. Children are to obey their parents in everything. The author is assuming this, that it's a normal family and people are just trying to do their best. It's not thinking of all the exceptions. There are exceptions. But children, obey your parents in everything. In the normal course of life, cooperation is beneficial. You get something out of it. 
Obey means to do two things together, that you listen carefully and that you're responsive to what you hear. And that this pleases the Lord because the Lord cares about you as children. God is looking out for you as the children. And so it pleases him when you step into obedience because God knows that life is filled with obedience and relationships of accountability and authority and that when you learn to obey, it's going to go well with you. In fact, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you there's going to be benefits, in other words. It, you're just going to see how things are going to go better when you're responsive. And it says that you may enjoy long life, that it will increase the length of your life, in part because you're going to avoid a lot of dangerous decisions that could have brought harm to you. Parents are here to help children be successful in life. Parents are here to love their kids Parents are here to help the kids become successful adults. Amen, parents? Yeah. And so, because parenting is an environment of love for the child and training for their success, responsiveness offers you children great benefits. Remember that Jesus, God the Son, obeyed the Father when he was here on earth. He shows us the example. And then the corollary to the child, it emphasizes the Father. And once again, it comes back to fathers, and it says, fathers, we got to talk about something here. You don't want to embitter your children. I'm still thinking about why it focuses on dads here. But dads, this is what it says. Do not embitter your children. To embitter means to excite, uh, to provoke, to agitate, or to irritate something. Could it be that we may be a little bit too critical? Gentlemen, could it be there's times where we're thinking negative when we shouldn't be? When we should be thinking positive? When we should be saying an encouraging word rather than a harsh word? And then what I've had to learn as a father, I'm just being transparent with you, I've just learned that I need to just stop assuming and start asking. Because we don't necessarily know the circumstance. We don't necessarily know all the details, gentlemen. We need to ask questions about what happened, what went on, who said what, when, where it took place. We may need, even need to call mom in and say, so what happened here? You know, can help me understand this. And so many times I've found that by asking questions, my response is different than what it would have been if I would have went with my assumptions. 
And you know what that saves me from having to do? When I self-correct in the process of figuring things out, it keeps me from having to come back and to apologize to a bunch of people later for making a mistake. And that is the beauty of being called out as fathers to not embitter our children. It causes us to think more carefully how to build them up and to motivate them. It says if we embitter them, they will become discouraged. The Greek word means to be without spirit. They lose heart. They lose spirit. Practically, they lose motivation. Dads, let's move forward with being encouragers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up, and here's how, in the training and the instruction of the Lord, part of bringing encouragement to your kids is to having God's answers for their lives, for guidance, for what they're trying to figure out, to pray with your kids. I didn't know what my kids were supposed to do in life. I just knew they were supposed to love God. So I started praying with them, started asking them questions, listening to them. Do you want to be the president of the United States? Do you want to be a nurse? What do you want to do with your life? And we just prayed it through, and it's just amazing. If you talk to them about walking with God, God will show them what their career, what their occupation will be. He has the power to guide that. He's their kids. When fathers work on their relational delivery and the content of what they say, they can be inspiration, pure inspiration. And gentlemen, isn't that what we want to be? We want to be inspiration and encourage them moving forward. And so, Father, we're fathers, we're challenged. The third set of relationships are, well, it's called slaves, some translations bond slaves. Closest things we might have to it would be an employee, someone who's making a living. Now, understand that in the context that the Roman home oftentimes had slaves in it. Some of them were slaves who chose to become slaves because they saw an opportunity in going into a certain household to be able to learn a skill or a trade, and so they wanted to enter in to a relationship like this. And so they were living full-time in a household. It was beyond employee status. It was full-time live-in status, a boarder, if you will, with employment involved. And it says to slaves or employees to work with heart, to put your heart into it. This speaks to us about our motivation in the workplace. It says in Colossians 3.22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And that idea of obeying, we've seen twice so far this morning, haven't we, in the scriptures. Obey them in everything and do it. Not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Do you have two paces of work? Do you work harder when you're being watched? And do you slack off when you're not being watched? 
your testimony for the Lord is involved here. And Paul is saying, have one speed. Have it being a heart that's sincerely devoted and do it out of reverence for the Lord because every relationship we're talking about this morning is about serving the Lord in your relationships. Relationships are the venue where we learn to serve and to let the character that Colossians 3 has built on, not just in our own lives, but then in our relationships with these people. The word sincerity is a word of refinement. I grew up and I loved working with clay, and I even have some clay objects that have been heated in the kiln, and it's in my office. I have staff members come to my office and say, do you have any chocolate in your turtle today? And I say, well, of course I do. And so now I'm expecting you guys to show up. Because as a, I was either seventh or eighth grade, I did an impressionist work of a prehistoric turtle, what I could have imagined it would have been like. And when I created the shell, I made it removable, and I put a uh, candy collection dish inside of it. And so staff members will come looking for the chocolate. It's one way I have of, of having fellowship with them. Come on over and visit a time. I extend the invitation to you. Come have some chocolate. Let's talk. That turtle went through the kiln and got raised to impressive temperatures. And it hardened it. One eye slipped off because I hadn't been careful at really connecting all of the soft uh, clay together. And so under the heat, it slipped a little. But the rest of it looks pretty good, actually. The word for sincerity is the word for tested under fire, to be shown without flaw or defect. We are working toward excellence. We are working to produce a quality product. We are working as an example of our love for the Lord, which shows in excellence and quality. Paul has a lot to say about this work relationship. He goes on in verses 23 and 24 to tell us whatever you do, whatever you do, that's pretty big paintbrush, isn't it? Pretty broad stroke there, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart and working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. I got kind of excited about this. Do you, know, you realize what this means? This means that there's more than just a paycheck. This means that beyond the paycheck, the day will come when you will stand before the Lord and for all the other intangible things that you didn't get acknowledged for or rewarded for in your work, the Lord is going to reward you for that. That kind of excites me. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. All these relationships are serving relationships. And then it says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there's no favoritism. That the Lord holds us accountable for excellence 
in the workplace. So we pursue our work for the Lord with more passion and excellence, productivity and quality, and your heart motivation is what drives it all. All your relationships are ultimately serving the Lord in relating and serving people. So how would I put it all together? (laughs) Well, the masters and the employers, they have an obligation too. And that's to do what's right and what's fair. What's right has a moral and ethical implication. Don't cheat your employees. And to do what's fair is to recognize in the economy and in the market what that fairness looks like. And employers, maybe it's more than just an honorable paycheck. Maybe it's also recognition. Maybe it's an occasional word of praise for work well done. Sometimes it's what you say that's very valuable as well to the rest of us. And so, masters, provide your workers with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven, meaning you will give an account someday for your business and how you treated your employees. So the power of control and authority is to be used for the good of the people, not to exploit them. So our applications today, first of all, Christ's work for and in us empowers us to bless our relationships. Be a blessing. Are you a blessing? Be a blessing. Address your personal issues, your growth issues. And pursue God's character qualities. Have you noticed that in all six people that are identified here, all six, they're called to character. They're called to a character focus. Not a bunch of character qualities, but one. One. One emphasis. Pursue yours as a gift to the people in your life. And initiate your character gift to others rather than demand that others respond first. Be the initiator. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Initiate. And then for those of you who have been deeply wounded in relationships or for those of you who want to change your pattern of behavior, that is, the wounders, that change comes in the choice of believing what God has said about your new identity and the power that comes with putting yourself under, submitting under Christ's lordship. There's no loss of significance in being humble but there's a great value to every relationship in being humble. Our focus, it's really the Lord that you're serving. And in serving others, you are serving the Lord. As Josh comes forward to get ready for a song, I want to just lead us in a quick prayer. 
Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for what you've said to us about uh, the significance of serving in every relationship, in serving the Lord by serving others. And I pray that many relationships would be blessed today because of choices that will be made to believe that you, by applying these truths, will make the relationship stronger and better and more exciting to be in. Bless the marriages, bless the parents, bless the children, bless the business owners, and bless the employees in Jesus' name.